Welcome to Tech Insights from InfoTech Research Group. Join me, Brian Jackson, and our team of expert analysts to delve beyond the headlines in the world of tech. We cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. In Star Trek, it's always bad news when the Enterprise's shields go down in the middle of a conflict. You just have that feeling that the whole crew is one photon torpedo away from being blasted into space. Well, last week the EU-US privacy shield went down. The European Court of Justice struck down the deal based on the challenge of a privacy advocate, Max Schrems. Now, I don't think anyone is at risk of being blown up here, but it's definitely a red alert situation. The privacy agreement involved more than 5,300 companies, most of them small businesses. It underpinned $7.1 trillion in trade. So why did this agreement suddenly get torpedoed? What did Ed Snowden have to do with it? And what should affected companies do next? Well, here to answer all of those questions for us is Cassandra Cooper, Senior Research Analyst in Security, Risk, and Compliance at InfoTech Research Group. Welcome, Cassandra. Thanks, Brian. I particularly enjoyed the Star Trek reference. That was great. I'm glad to hear uh, that was entertaining to you. I try. But let's talk about this serious matter here, because um, I just want you to refresh me, first of all, on what this privacy shield was for, even. For sure. So the U.S. Privacy Shield was actually a replacement for the Safe Harbor Agreement, um, which, interestingly enough, was struck down, uh, again, as a result of Max Schrems. He's a, quite an infamous individual in the privacy world, privacy sphere, um, back in 2015. And essentially what the, the Shield is attempting to do, or was attempting to do, I guess, before last week, um, is provide an opportunity for companies that certify as um, part of the privacy shield to be able to safely transfer data across borders. Um, and in the case of now what's happened in, with the implementation of the GDPR in 2018, this obviously provides companies from the U.S. side um, that are receiving data from companies on the EU side with almost a bit of a I would say kind of work around in terms of actually having to put a lot of the more stringent measures around data protection and data privacy in place that are requirements of the GDPR. Um, and it's this is, I guess, the decision, I think, in a lot of uh, ways was probably anticipated and expected. Um, there's been a lot of pushback from various privacy advocates specifically in the EU that are proponents of a more kind of robust approach to data privacy that this agreement was, I think, one of the ways it was described in, in one of the articles was pig on a, or lipstick on a pig, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but it really was not providing the level of adequacy and kind of stringency around data protection that um, EU companies have to adhere to based on the GDPR. Well, yeah, yeah. Can we get into that a bit? Because lipstick on a pig is is one thing. But what I, I don't think the court said that when they struck this down, right? So what what were the main reasons they gave? Yeah, so there's actually two kind of key reasons in terms of why um, this was struck down. We can, one of them was more so around um, what's essentially been deemed as kind of a surveillance culture within the United States. And again, that's probably taking it into words that were not exactly uh, used when when it was described. But the main one of the main flaws was around kind of the lack of proportionality. So 
This is essentially saying that the U.S. doesn't have the same standards when it comes to data collection. So it's collecting across a way wider or broader spectrum or base. Um, and it also doesn't have the same level of what adherence or um, protection around when those broad sets of data are being collected, what's being done with it, what personal data is being collected, who has access to it, who can use it. This kind of touches or taps into that surveillance element. So what, at what point does does the individual from whom the data is being collected have any kind of recourse or redress to with respect to how their data is then being used by these other parties and for what purpose? Uh, and that's kind of a central central element of the GDPR focuses on purpose limitation of how data is used. Um, another area that was addressed was a lack of individual redress being called out as one of the flaws. Um, and again, just essentially outlining the fact that these EU citizens don't have access to what's going on in the U.S. courts. So how uh, how their data is being used, for what purpose it's being used. And, and those were the, the general reasons around why it was struck down. A lot of kind of um, information and insight and, and opinions that have come out afterwards, again, do tie it back to that surveillance culture element. And there is just a, a very big difference in terms of data privacy being seen as a fundamental human right within the EU and um, within the US approach with a little bit less caution and stringency. And we see that in the fact that the US still doesn't have a federal um, data privacy law and it's very fragmented in terms of how it approaches data privacy is usually done on a state by state basis or they almost rely right. on industry standards. Yeah. And for me, um, I, I read somewhere that um, the decision uh, made reference to what Edward Snowden revealed um, six years ago now, um, when he revealed that the National Security Agency was involved in this PRISM program, which was basically like a crazy mass surveillance effort to scoop up all sorts of data that was going across uh, the internet within the U United States. And surely that, that must be on Europeans' minds when they're thinking about what's happening to their data in the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. And if you if we actually look back to the, the Schrems case itself, uh, Schrems 2, um, it's around Facebook, right? So it's, it's a slightly different scale, but in the same respect of this is this multinational company that many of us know have been has been involved in some very questionable um, processing practices with respect to personal data in the past. I think back to like 2016 election, and again, we'll not touch on American politics in this chat, but the, the concern was around kind of the, the lack of stringency that Facebook had in terms of how it was processing EU citizens' data cross-border and what was being done with that and how that was being leveraged from when it's being processed within the states. And, and that comes up as a concern. And, and again, this is is something that in specific instances may seem right now, especially when you throw out those numbers, Brian, at the beginning around like the economic impact of $7.1 trillion. Like there are obviously massive potential consequences to this. Um, but if we do look to the spectrum of how this kind of integrates into the data privacy landscape and the rights of the individual and how people's data is being used in a way that they had absolutely no intention of ever being used, that becomes, I would say, a very heavily weighted component in the discussion as well. Okay. So basically a track record of the U.S. doing shady stuff with data. Um, I get that. But then you have companies like Microsoft, uh, which of course has its headquarters in the U.S. in Redmond, they say they're not affected by this. So why is that? 
Yeah, and this is interesting. So the the Privacy Shield um, is kind of that the flagship agreement between um, companies within the EU and and companies within the United States, as long as they're self-certifying. The Schrems II ruling, however, did not invalidate standard contractual clauses, which are uh, another method of data transfer across borders or internationally. Um, and there are actually three sets of standard contractual clauses um, which the European Data Protection Board has put into place or kind of outlined given um, specific uh, instructions around and the Microsoft as it being as it is an international company um, does still leverage standard contractual clauses. So as of as it stands, they're still able to conduct their day to day operations they are still able to transfer data cross borders because they've been using SCCs as opposed to just relying on the privacy shield uh, as a way for them to transfer data. However, Although they were not invalidated this time around, um, there's still some significant um, additional scrutiny that's been placed on SCCs, um, especially in the controller to processor SCCs with respect to making sure that they are essentially put into place, they're, they're reviewed and revised so that the data transfer is adhering to the level of stringency of the country of origin, or in this case, the EU, if it is the EU data that's being exported to the states. So while mm -hmm. Microsoft is not immediately impacted, there will be, and there continues to be additional um, guidance that's being put out with respect to how the SECs may be um, modified or changes or what additional kind of practices have to be put into place to ensure that that data transfer is is being carried out in a, in a way that respects the, the country of origin and, and the kind of most stringent processing regulations really. Right. So there's more examination to come for this. But as of right now, if you've done the work, if you're a U.S. company that's done the work, putting your own data contracts in place with your European customers, you can keep relying on those to do business, right? Yeah. If, you, if you've put in place standard contractual clauses as it stands, you're not um, simply relying on U.S. Privacy Shield. My recommendation, however, would be to to take a closer look at the companies that you are, especially from EU transferring to the United States, the companies um, that you are doing business with, if it isn't kind of as Microsoft would be just within its own company, if you are transferring to a different company, if it is within the same company, look at the data processing standards, take a, okay. take a much more, much more stringent approach to to what those handling processes look like. Got it. Okay. I, you know, we're talking about Microsoft here. What about Amazon and, and European companies that are using Amazon Web Services and might be uh, within uh, a, a region that's located in the U.S.? Are, are they affected by this? And again, most of these organizations will have significant uh, or put, I guess, the, the back-end work into ensuring that they've got adequate standard contractual clauses in place. Not to say that they're not going to be impacted, it will just be a process of carrying out that due diligence on the importer to make sure that they do have a procedure or practice in place to notify exporters to make sure that they are covering um, all of those adequate provisions with respect to how the data is handled. So there's there's still going to be a significant amount of work that's going to be done. I think the, the initial kind of reaction we're getting from these larger companies is more so on side of we've got what's we've got in place what needs to be in place at the time at this present time. However, 
that's not saying that they're they're still doing a lot of work in the background to make sure that as these continued kind of changes in guidance and uh, additional guidelines around what's going to what needs to be uh, carried out with respect to the SECs happens they're not going to be doing a lot of, of work on their own to ensure that their processes align and that they're not um, putting themselves in it in jeopardy with respect to breaching um, that GDPR or just in general any pro- breach of data protection regulation internationally. Yeah, everybody in a, a certain circle of, you know, IT privacy, IT security, IT um, trade seems to be talking about this right now. Um, I, I'm not really sure what the worst part of the fallout is going to be, and I wonder what you think it is. I think, I mean, I, I think maybe I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I'm more so on the privacy side um, because there is obviously significant economic impact that's going to happen. 5,300 companies that were um, a part of the Privacy Shield is not insignificant. And what I, and I, and I don't want to, to make assumptions, but I would say that there are a significant amount of those companies that are going to have to do some real work with respect to how they're processing data, what what level of um, oversight they have into personal data that is flowing in cross borders, specifically from the EU in this case. Um, so I think that there's there the, the main impact is going to be kind of a, a reconsideration of how companies are dealing with privacy in general and not just as a reactive mechanism, but proactively, like how are we mapping data flows within the organization do we have the appropriate technical controls in place do we also have the appropriate procedural controls um, and do we have a culture of privacy in the organization because really and and i'm sure um most people from either side would agree with the fact that privacy is generally seen as a bit of an inhibitor it's kind of like that extra piece of red tape so there's going to be a bit of pushback and resistance from people in the organization that have to help uphold or help kind of push this privacy culture because they are going to see it as something that's making it a little bit more complicated or a little bit slower for them to actually do what they need to do on a day-to-day basis. So there's going to be a significant amount of work that that needs to be done from those organizations that were reliant on Privacy Shield. It doesn't make, um, it doesn't invalidate the ability to transfer data across borders. Anything, I think this is really good because I think it just is bringing it, it's essentially pushing something with respect to kind of a more comprehensive approach to data privacy in the States that was going to get pushed. And we were all kind of seen coming down the pipeline at some point. So it's, it's putting the onus now on those companies that if they want to maintain their same level of economic operations, they're, they're going to have to do something about yeah. privacy and, and make sure that it, it's a priority problem. One more reason to go out and actually take privacy seriously and make sure that your company's uh, processes are up to not only your local jurisdiction standards, but the, the toughest standards that are out there. And uh, today, I'd say that those tough standards are in the EU when you look at what they've done with GDPR, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's it's not a it's not an easy um, aspect to tackle and it's definitely going to be uh it'll be interesting i think to watch what comes out of this from the perspective of how this does start to shape a slightly different privacy landscape specifically in the u.s um but globally as well because there there this will be something that is it is being watched in the privacy sphere around the world and i think that um it's going to to force companies to to rethink their approach to 
minimum standards and and essentially move towards this kind of, as you said, adoption of the strictest layer of privacy protection standards out there. Okay, great advice. Thanks so much, Cassandra. Awesome. It was great to chat, Brian. That's all for today's segment of Tech Insights. Thanks for joining us. Coming up later this week, we'll have new segments, including why you're to blame for Zoom's privacy problems, or at least some of them. We'll have Jimmy Tom, our security analyst, to tell us all about that. You can now subscribe to Tech Insights. Visit our website at anchor.fm slash techinsights, and you'll find that you can subscribe on any podcast service that you use. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Brian Jackson.